notice that we're uh, set up a little differently this morning, although you might recognize something like this from February of this year. Anybody recognize it, sort of? Yeah. Um, so back in February, we did a wisdom panel. Um, that's what we're doing, doing again uh, today is we got some of the wisest people I know up here to, to, to pass on some wisdom to you guys. Um, <laughs> but... Honestly, for, for those of you guys who were here um, in February, it was a great uh, day. Um, it was really, really good. So they have a lot to live up to up here. Um, no, just kidding. Um, but part of the reason why uh, I want to do this periodically is that I, I really do believe we have quite a bit of wisdom in our church. Um, and usually I'm the guy up here speaking all the time, and, and that's, you only ever hear from me. Um, so getting other people involved in the conversation, sharing um, kind of some unique insights from their life, uh, I think is a really, really good thing. I know for me, um, you know, I, I've got this verse up here from Proverbs, uh, which is, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. I know I've been a fool a lot in my life. I, I'm, I'm typically a, a skeptic, so I have a hard time. you got to convince me of an idea before I'm going to buy it. Um, the problem with that is sometimes I don't listen to wisdom when, it, when it's given because I've got to figure it out for myself and I've got to fail and then figure, oh, that was a wise thought that that person had, you know, and if I just would have implemented it, it would have been good. Um, so hopefully this morning we can get some, uh, some wisdom. We can um, maybe avoid the foolishness of not learning from others. Uh, we need to be learning from others. And um, so we've got these guys up here. I'm just going to ask them some questions and let them uh, share all of their deep insights with you. I will say this, uh, that you could be praying this morning. Um, this is probably my most reluctant panel so far. Uh, <laughs> Not because they're not super wise, but because it's hard to get up in front of people and talk, right? Um, and actually, some of you, I've asked you about this, and you're like, no way, I'm not going to do that. Um, so these brave souls are going to share with us this morning. So be praying for them um, that they don't get too nervous about it. Um, so we're just going to get going. You guys ready? Yeah? <laughs> Diane says, okay, sure. Uh, well, since, since you say okay, I'm going to start with you guys. Ted and Diane. Um, so how many years have you guys been married? I forget. <laughs> Got what, 47? Yes. Is that right? Okay, we agree. 47 years. Yeah. We were 10. When we got you were 10, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, she was 11. <laughs> so uh, 47 years is a long time, obviously. Um, Doesn't seem that long. So <laughs> Is it going? Yeah. Got to get it real close. Um, so based on your 47 years and all the wisdom you've accumulated over that time, uh, what in your opinion is the most important thing or few things in living a God-honoring marriage? Well, if you want to talk, say so, Diane. <laughs> uh, most important. Well, first... You have to know God, um, and that would be Diane and I both were Christians. Um, we met in church or school. It was kind of 
the same time that I, I moved to where she lived. So we, we, we were Christians, and that's number one, Yeah, I think. And beyond that, um, a desire to, to honor God. And in our marriage, I would say, because we were Christians and serious about it, uh, we had common, a common goal to start with. And that was just, you know, it's indispensable. It smooths over a lot of rough spots. Um, you think it's all my, I know there's more, and I don't remember right now. Knowing God. Now, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> How to live a God-honoring, oh, God-honoring life. Marriage. Marriage. L- let, me, let me be a little more specific. How about you said rough spots? How, how how does it? How did God being at the center of your marriage help you through those rough spots? What's what's the difference there? Well, we we love the Lord, at least we're trying to, and we loved each other. So naturally, I think you want to please the other person. Um, so I guess I should back up. There's always disagreements. <laughs> Things that come up and just in life, sometimes I can't agree with myself, so <laughs> I can agree with. But anyway, um, yeah, just loving each other and wanting to please the other person and both of you wanting to, to honor God, um, that just, it gives you a basis to work from. You know, if you disagree on something, well, what would the Lord want us to do? So it's... Uh, Easier to come to, maybe to give in on, on your, if you're thinking one way and the other's thinking another. Yeah. Which happens sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. Absolutely. It, does. it, it helps know, have, knowing that the Lord uh, is the center. And so even though we both really want our own way, if we're yielding to Him, mm. then we're going to try to go, we'll go to him instead of saying, well, staying like, well, if you'd be mad at each other right. about an issue, and then turn to him and say, what would the Lord, what would the Lord want me to do? And uh, <laughs> that's helped, that, that helps because we, unfortunately, uh, well, we are selfish and we want, we often want our own way, and we know that that's not what is always pleasing to the Lord. And so that's where our roles as husband and wife come in, and, and we yield. Yeah. So, anyway. Good. Yes, yes. <laughs> Take the spotlight off of you guys for a second. Hi, Doreen. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so um, you've had the experience of having a child who walked away from the church for a time. What did you learn through that experience, and what advice would you have for parents experiencing something similar? There's a verse, and I'm, I put it down because I don't have a great memory. In Philippians 1.6, for I am confident that of this very thing, 
that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And I've had to claim that promise for all three of my children. Um, and it's very tempting when you see your child make poor choices, walk away, um, to say, if only, if only our marriage had been different, if only my husband had done such and such, if only we had been in the same church, our children would have had a better background or a better foundation. If only we had been able to adopt them at a younger age before they were so damaged. Um, and, but I can claim this promise because each of them made a profession of faith at some point. Um, <clears throat> but a very wise friend told me, God does not have any grandchildren. And so at some point, it becomes their decision and their choice. So... I pray, and I always try to be accepting of them as people. And you can't always love their actions, but you can love your children. <clears throat> and hold, hold faith for the future. All right, Glenn. I, I told Melissa this, is this for, morning. This is for Kathy. <laughs> I, I told Melissa this morning, you're, you're probably going to do 90% of the talking this morning, so maybe we can pare that down to like 60 or 65. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, All you have to do is get her started. <laughs> <laughs> so, Glenn and Kathy, um, you have had to go through a life-threatening health scare. Obviously, Glenn went through that, but it was something you went through together. Uh, what were one or two lessons that you both learned through that time, and how would you encourage others who have to go through something similar? I was going to let ladies go first. <laughs> it was my thing. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that uh, I, uh, it was four years ago that uh, they thought I had just needed a gallbladder removed. And the, uh, the surgeon said, there's something more going on here. And in the interim, uh, uh, I was going to a specialist and trying to figure out, he says, well, we need to do a liver biopsy. And so uh, one thing led to another, and there were some problems. And, there, and I was teaching down at Chico State at the time. And one day going down, um, I just... I was praying with my eyes open and, you know, <laughs> you know, and they, uh, and I just asked the Lord, I said, am I going to die? Because if I am, there's some things I need to do to get my house in order. And I heard him say, no. Now, the mistake I made was not telling Kathy. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it was, um, so that can, you know, the things that she, that she went through. But I, if I, I feel that if God tells me something, I'm looking for confirmation of that before I, I stand up and proclaim from the mountaintops various things. 
Uh, and so then I woke up one morning a few weeks later, and I just had sharp pain. So I called the 24-hour uh, the number on the back of my card for the health, and, and I talked to a nurse. Bless nurses. Uh, told them what the symptoms were and everything else. And she said, you need to get to emergency. And uh, so I said, okay. We talked a little bit more. And she says, now, Glenn, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to emergency. So all my doctors were up in Reading, so we headed up for to Mercy, which was day one of 10. And the... Uh, and as they got in, and the pain just start, you know. Um, I think I told the guy it was a ten. Uh, so anyway, they moved me to the head of the line, and uh, Kathy had to deal with the the uh, uh, the other people glaring at her as to why does your husband get to move to the top of the line. Um, yeah, and the uh, and as it turned out, uh, now through this whole time, I was at peace. I knew, you know, God told me I wasn't going to die. Kathy didn't know that, and uh, so uh, I got in and got into the emergency room, and and then he through a number of tests. I think I went for an ultrasound three times that, that night. And, um, and I kind of lost the timeline, but it was two o'clock in the morning. Kathy can fill in that point. She says, I'm going home. And um, so, uh, it, at some point, I kind of came to on the operating table. And uh, I could sense the confusion and the chaos. And uh, this is tougher than I thought. I used to go over this pretty glibly. Yeah. So anyway, um, and this piece hit me like a wave and I just started praying for the doctors the nurses uh -huh. and then I the next thing I knew I woke up in recovery um, they went in to thinking they were taking taking gallbladder out and uh, they get in there and they look through the three little holes and one of them is a microscope and uh, my body cavity was filled with oobleck my small intestine had been leaking into the body cavity, and the uh, which everybody has told me since then that's almost a death sentence. And uh, so they were busy cleaning everything up, and the uh, so <laughs> next couple days, um, I never saw the pictures. Kathy says she saw the pictures of what they took out or something, but. Um, 
they cleaned it all up and I got back to the, they didn't have me in ICU, but they had me in the next level below that. And the doctors and the nurses, whenever they'd start their shift, would say, oh, Glenn, it's so good to see you. And I thought that was just a normal greeting. Then I realized that they were not expecting me to live. You know, but through this whole time, I mean, it's part of my scientific brain or something. I mean, I was just amazed at all the things that were going on. I was because I wasn't worried at all that I was going to die. It was just absolutely—it was an absolutely amazing experience. Um, and I'll insert if because of the lessons I learned through that. And the things that I saw God do, um, I've shared with some of you, I would do it again. I mean, it just, uh, God did some terrific things. And uh, anyway, Kathy was left going back and forth between Mercy and Red Bluff by herself. And at that point, I'll turn it over to her to tell her side. survived. <laughs> oh, one last thing. And I just did have some blood work every six months now I go in for, and my numbers are just keep getting better. And, and so it's just, uh, there's nothing I don't think I can, I cannot do. Is that a double negative or something? I'm not touching that one. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'll fill in the rest of the story. Um, he got up at one point after he talked to the nurse on the phone, and he hollered and was on the floor. And he said, we need to go to the emergency room because <laughs> the pain was so sharp. We went up there and got to Reading about five or six. He got into a room. I don't know where he thinks he went to the head of the line. Glenn sleeps all day if he has a cold. So he was pretty <laughs> much asleep in a wheelchair in the emergency room for, I want to say that's eight hours. Um, because we didn't get called in to go actually see a doctor until like one o'clock in the morning. And they had done a few things with him. And I'm thinking to myself, people, you know, <laughs> this guy is not doing well. And, um, but you have to sit there and wait, you know, because they, they have their priorities and all that. Anyway, so we go in there and he lays down on the table, you know, and they put a little blanket or whatever on him. And I looked at his stomach and I said, that's not normal. I said, he looks like he's six months pregnant. <laughs> so, so the, because he had lost like, I want to say 30 or 40 pounds when this all started, you know. Anyway, so then, I don't even think the doctor had come in, but they said that they were going to admit him. And so I looked at the, whoever was in there and said, can I leave then if you guys are going to admit him and he'll be taken care of because <laughs> it was two o'clock in the morning I don't know about you guys but I don't feel comfortable driving around at night at two o'clock when all the bars closed you know so anyway um, I just you know I'm driving home and I said Lord I trust you enough to know that if there's something I need to worry about you will let me know because I mean I was clueless apparently Glenn thought I knew more than I did and but he doesn't always share a lot of stuff <laughs> So um, I didn't know all the stuff that the doctors were saying to him and testing for and stuff. I just knew he was having blood work done, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. So anyway, yeah, I was going up and down um, to Reading, you know, every day. And so 
the Lord, I did, you know, you gotta, you gotta laugh sometimes. I printed this out because I know I wouldn't remember all the words, and the words are really good. This song I found out when I printed it came out the same year he had this issue. And um, it's, it says, uh, let me get down to something that applies. Um, it says, it's easy to sing when there's nothing to bring me down, but what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? I know you're able, I know you can, save through the fire with your mighty hand, but even if you don't, my hope is you alone. And it talks about, it takes a little faith to move a mountain, and it's a good thing, because a little faith is all I have right now. But God, when you choose to leave mountains <clears throat> unmoved, unmoved, you give me the strength to be able to sing it as well with my soul, which is one of my favorite songs. Um, anyway, so it goes through that whole thing, and it's kind of like the, the um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire, you know. And so... I would just kind of smile when that song would come on and say, well, you know, because I felt like, well, Lord, you told me, you know, I mean, you haven't given me any fear. I don't have any issues, you know, going on as far as that. You know, I just thought he was going to have something, you know, minor done and, and he'd be okay. But it was really nice to hear that song. And I heard it at least two or three times going up and back every time I went up and back because it was kind of a new song and it's what they do. And so I would just grin and sing along and, you know, cry a little bit, you know, when certain parts of it came. But so I went up, I think it was the day after. I, I loved hearing his side of the story because he slept through a lot, apparently. <laughs> um, I got a call and he was, they were getting ready to put, you know, take him into surgery. And so I went up there and he was already in surgery when I went. And I went to the waiting room and <laughs> this... This lady and her mother were there waiting for her husband. And so I was hearing their conversation. <laughs> anyway, so when the surgeon came out, he talked to them briefly and said, you know, we're going to do your husband in just a minute. We've had to delay his surgery. So then he comes over and talks to me, and he's looking me straight in the eye the whole time he's talking to me. And I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> and gives me these photos and points out various things. And you did see them. I brought them home. And... I'm like, he obviously thought I had more medical knowledge than I did. And uh, I'm just kind of listening to him, and it's like, okay. What happened was they went in, like Glenn said, and then all of a sudden there's this big leader, he said, a bile in his belly, you know. So they had to clean that all out so there wasn't any infection or anything. Anyway, so, and that night after surgery, you didn't share this, they panicked because something happened. I don't know if it was blood pressure or what it was, but they were having trouble with his blood pressure dropping and stuff. So it was like, I don't know, one, two, three o'clock in the morning. And uh, there, the it was after your surgery. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, so, so they, they, were, they were in a panic and they went out to the hall to try and get a doctor. And there just happened to be, you know, this doctor that knew whatever needed to be known about him, you know, that was his specialty that was in the hallway at that hour in the evening. So he came in, and, and I remember Glenn sharing that he had woken up, and he was just watching everybody because God had already told him twice he wasn't going to die from this. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there were a lot, of, a lot of God moments in this whole process, and even in the healing, but, um, yeah. So, but honestly... 
I, I was thinking about this, and one of the things I feel that with our son, our oldest son, because he had, um, he developed diabetes before he went into the sixth grade, and then before, I think when he was a soft, no, fresh, I forget, 11th grade, somewhere around 11th grade, whatever those are called, I can't think right now, um, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. And so I think those kind of helped prepare me a little bit, you know, because I'd already been through that, because I'm the one who had to take him to the doctor with blood sugar glucose levels that were over 600. And I don't know if you guys are aware, but normal is like somewhere around 130 or less, you know, somewhere 120, I don't know. So anyway, but um, yeah, what they said, you know, I mean, you need to depend on God and just trust him and... He'll tell you. Sometimes you don't like what he tells you, but on this case, it was good. <laughs> I need to share about this two o'clock in the morning fiasco. Again, like you, know, you got to realize, you know, I'm fascinated by the whole process and what they're doing. I, you know, this was not an out-of-body experience, but it was kind of like I was watching. You know, I was just fascinated by the the whole thing. So. Uh, the nurse came in two o'clock, whatever you know. They're they're in there bugging you that all the time, and I just want to sleep. And so at two o'clock, and they had one of the youngest nurses there, new newbies, and she kind of looked in and and she says, "Just a minute," and she was checking my wound, and uh, she disappears. And pretty soon she comes back with two other nurses, and so we got a, a United Nations meeting going on here, you know, and they're, and they're chit-chatting back and forth in nurse code or something, and, because I'm totally awake at this point, I'm just watching this thing, and um, I've never had so many people staring at my belly, and so, you know, but <laughs> the, uh, and so finally the one nurse, the head nurse, she heads off out of the room, and I didn't think, and by this time, med techs are coming in, every, I mean, I've got, there must have been 10 people in that room. And I'm not sure exactly what was going on. And so the doctor comes in, the, the specialist, he was just, like Kathy said, he was on the floor. And the nurse, she says, look who I found. She comes in announcing. And so he takes a look. And I guess it was so bad uh, that he lost all his uh, doctoral bedside manner, if they have any. Um, and he just says, what a mess. <laughs> and, I, and I thought to myself, well, this ought to be interesting. Yeah. You know, it just, um, and so they, I mean, he would say, oh, I wish I had. And there was a, there was a, a, a med tech running down the hall. They, they had the pharmacy going. I mean, it was... Uh, It's first class, just first class service, and it's nurses. Yeah, where's the other one? The other one, yeah. Um, they just, uh, so anyway, it was, you know, and then after we, after we, you know, the whole thing was done, I went back and we were doing a follow-up with the, with the surgeon who did the original stuff, and, and, uh, 
So we were talking, and he had already told me, he says, well, I don't need to see you anymore. I said, well, I've got a question for you. He says, what's that? And I said, have you ever had an experience like this before where you ran into a patient that you opened up, and he goes, you can see him cautious. Where are you going with this questioning? And he said, no. And I said, good. I'm glad at least it was an investment in your career. <laughs> And it was kind of like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back over here to Diane. I mean, Ted and Dan. Uh, what advice would you give younger couples if you had to do it over again? What, what do you wish you would have known when you were younger? This is pretty basic, but just as I would have uh, would tell my granddaughters, Ephesians 4:32, "Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you." Mm-hmm. And I think for couples, it, it works just the same way as for little ones or however, whatever age you are. The wisdom of God, he's given us his word to look into, and I think that that is the key uh, in in a relationship. I think the, the kindness... You know, we don't always feel kind (laughs) when we're disagreeing, but we need to remember uh, his word, apply it, and and it works when we do that. Not not to that. (laughs) That's a very good point, being kind and forgiving. Matter of fact, I think we're listening to Dr. Lutzer there from uh, Moody. Wife said something. They were some young couple, and his wife said something. Oh, she said, "Be forgiving. Be ready to forgive <laughs> if you're a couple, because you're always going to make mistakes." Yeah, yeah. Being being a Christian, the things God tells us to do that applies to a relationship, but just as well as to self or your family. Uh, I think same same principles. Um, of course, if you're not married yet, which I don't know if that applies to anybody here, take your time. <laughs> don't jump into a marriage. Make sure you uh, know each other. Um, anyway, that's just good advice for anybody, but uh, the other person. Somewhat can get along. (laughs) My wife's a sweetheart, so she's really easy to get along with. (laughs) But, you know, I I think I'm easy to get along with. (laughs) Maybe other people don't. So anyway, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of adjustments, so um, take time and uh, realize you're going to have conflicts and be willing to uh, listen and change your plans sometimes. Yeah. Okay. I want to I give a, a quick shout out to the pastor said there. 
the verse from Proverbs. Proverbs a great book for anybody, but there's lots about marriage and relationships in there as well. I know. Used to have a Sunday school class. How long did it take us to get through Proverbs, Glenn? Was it like two years or something? More than 31 weeks. <laughs> okay, it was a long But there's lots of good stuff in there. So, anyway. Good. Good, good. I'm going to say one thing on the mics, if you guys can keep them close. Because even if we can hear you in here, there's people at home that want to hear you too. So, And those things don't pick up real, real far. Um, Doreen. You've seen a lot as a nurse over the years, seen a, seen a lot of guys like Glenn come through the doors. Um, what unique things has God taught you through seeing individuals and families dealing with difficulty, sickness, and death? Actually, I find this question harder than the other one you were going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to ask the other one? No. Huh? What's that? <laughs> Do you want, me to, you want me to ask the other one? <laughs> yes, because the... Yeah, the nursing, uh, yes, please. Yes, please. Okay. So I don't actually have that one on my list, but I remember what it was, which is that you went through a time where your husband was incarcerated, um, and that was, had to be very difficult. You were raising kids. Um, what lessons did you learn through that? Um, how was God working in that? Now it's not so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, first off, I had to learn to stop relying on myself. And it took a long time for this, but looking back, I can say that I finally realized that I was full of pride in that I thought I shouldn't bother the Lord with my problems. There were people in the world who had worse problems, and people in the world who had less Christian background, that they would need more help from him than I did. <laughs> and when you say it, it sounds so ridiculous, but that's really how I was living my life, um, very independently and self-sufficient. And I have learned that self-sufficiency is a sin. Um, our children were small, and we were in San Mateo, and my husband told me that the FBI was investigating him and that he would be arrested. And I immediately went into, I gotta save my family and I have to save my marriage mode. And somehow I was going to manage to keep our life the same on a single income in San Mateo. <laughs> I don't know where I thought that was going to happen. So it took a, a while before I could, first of all, tell my family who were here in Red Bluff. And then God moved mysteriously and miraculously, and there's just too many stories to tell, but he moved us to Red Bluff. At the time, we thought my husband would be arrested and incarcerated within a matter of months. Um, and we moved to Red Bluff in August of 2001, and then 9-11 happened, and the FBI was really, really busy, and they sort of didn't have time for Fred for a while. So 
It took five years before he was sentenced and reported to the um, federal prison in Lompoc to serve a five-year sentence. The benefit, the blessing of the five-year sentence was that he was eligible for a camp. And because he was in a camp, he was allowed to work, and that was work was incredibly important to him. Yeah. So yeah. that was the benefit of that. But in the meantime, we had those five years of limbo followed by the five years of separation. Um, I really like the verse that you put on this today, Nate, because um, a wise man is he who listens to counsel. And it was moving here, and I'll get emotional now, <laughs> but it was moving here and then being welcomed into this fellowship that saved me emotionally. And there was so much counsel. And as I began to open up to people, um, there was a lot of counsel. And <clears throat> so I have to look at my notes again. Um, another thing that was important was when I finally reached the point of acknowledging to myself that I did feel betrayed because I was so determined to save our marriage that it took me a long time to actually put the words to the, that I did feel betrayed. I felt betrayed by my husband, and I felt betrayed by the Lord because I had always followed the rules and been a good girl, and this kind of stuff shouldn't happen to me. Yeah. Um, so that was a learning thing. Um, somewhere in those year, early years of the process, that we had a women's thing here at church, and we were all out at Bev Penner's house, and Lynn spoke. She gave us the verse, a father to the fatherless, and a judge for the widows is God in his holy habitation. And I claimed that for my children because they were going to be not truly fatherless, but they could feel fatherless with their father gone. And um, I claimed that verse for them and for myself. And then five years later, I read the next verse. God makes a home for the lonely. He leads the prisoners out into prosperity. Only the rebellious live in a parched land. And so then I claimed that verse for my husband when he came home. And for the naysayers who told us how hard it was going to be to reestablish our life and our love and our relationship and our home again. And I claimed that, and God has blessed us beyond, beyond measure. Extreme. All right, Glenn and Kathy, uh, how have you guys dealt with difficulties in your marriage over the years? And what advice would you give to others? Not that you've had any. I guess, should we start there? Have you had difficulties in your marriage? Not, not in the last five minutes. <laughs> okay, good, good. <laughs> I think one of the things, uh, and Ted and Diane touched on this, uh, I was reading an article um, a couple weeks ago 
And it tied in with a message that Noah gave the, the young people uh, about not being unequally yoked. And this uh, study has just been released, released from the uh, psychologists, which uh, my understanding is they're uh, as reliable. They're, they're just one run less reliable than geologists. So it, um, they, but they said that they found out that the common bond of a, of a good marriage is a common belief. And that has, a, has an immense lot to do with it. I think Kathy and I have, um, we agree on a whole lot of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And you would think after 48 plus years of marriage that you wouldn't have any problems, but... Um, I, I don't think you could find too many people on this planet that are more, uh, have less in common, <laughs> except for the Lord, as Kathy and I do. Um, uh, and there's, uh, and so there's those moments of conflict and things. But there's, uh, I mean, for me personally, I, I play the long game. And by that I mean, is I give, it's, I found it, it's when the Holy Spirit is working in a person's life is when real change occurs. Otherwise, you're just going to, you're just going to respond to uh, belittling or, or forcefulness where you really, there's no real change in the person's uh, attitude and everything else. And so there's, uh, so for me and, and for also for, for my wife, I, I give her a long time, and one of the things I found is, is I can, and I'm still learning this, is I can make a relatively fast snap decision, process things. She takes much longer to make that decision, and so I need to do that. And just the other day, we were, we were coming back up from Elk Grove, and we were talking about decorating our house for, for Christmas. And... We talked about different things we could do, and and then as we were approaching Red Bluff, we came across this idea that I thought, okay, this is what we're going to settle on and whatnot. Well, somebody woke up the next morning with, uh, no, I don't think we should do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's there's also the aspect of um, I can't get by. Uh, I'm not sure I, how what manna would taste like, but if you gave me peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I could live uh, 365 on that. And so it's just kind of like, all right. Um, our marriage, which is a ceremony, which is usually a contentious time, was, was real simple for me. It was just, I was here in Red Bluff. She was in Santa Cruz. She planned it. She just, it was just kind of like, tell me when to show up and tell me when to say I do. And I was perfectly happy with that. And she, and so they really took a lot of the confrontation. But I can, I can rankle her. 
If uh, so, then we have to we have to work through it. Oh, go ahead. You go first. <laughs> Always interesting to hear what goes on up there. <laughs> um, yeah. We were joking about it the other day that the best advice is wait until you're at least 30, you know, because you change a lot from 20 to 30. <laughs> anyway, we weren't that old. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I, having the Lord, I don't know how people even make it um, because I don't know how people live through life without the Lord. Um, but we have gone through a lot of issues, and we are not there yet. <laughs> um, but I, I was raised in the church, and I accepted the Lord when I was fairly young. Glenn didn't accept the Lord until we had been dating for like a year or something. And so he was 19. Hopefully I can get it right. And anyway, so, but I didn't have a lot of training even though I was raised in the church. And I honestly don't remember the word obedience being mentioned in a message until after we moved up to Red Bluff when we were married. Hmm. So I wasn't very obedient to things. And um, God and I had many, many, many arguments. And I don't know how you guys argue with God, but it's really frustrating because he doesn't argue with you. He waits until you're all done with your temper tantrum and then says, okay, are you ready now to listen? <laughs> Okay, so anyway, um, yeah, so Glenn, Glenn got to deal with all that growth, <laughs> and, um, and then we had kids. He was, he was concerned. He said, you know, I don't think I can really do this with kids. You know, I won't be a very good dad, and I said, Glenn, I said, you are going to be a much better dad than I am going to be a mother, and I think both our boys would agree with that. Anyway, but... Uh, yeah, I just, I think you need to be able to kind of laugh at yourself a little bit um, because I'm a bit of a control freak. <laughs> and I found out when, I don't know, Christmas or Thanksgiving when we got together with my side of the family um, that my whole family is that way, you know. <laughs> so Glenn has done a very good job at helping me to not be such a control freak. <laughs> which I did not appreciate at all. But um, so it's, it's a process of learning, and I'm glad to hear that because I thought he was going to say there's probably few people that, are, that have as much in common as we do, and I'm going. <laughs> so I was glad he said the other because, because that's my, I know God has a sense of humor because of people in marriages. He takes two people that are total opposites, puts them together, and says, now live together and be happy. <laughs> and you're like, right. And you think you're so smart at 21 or whatever, you know. Yeah. I did. And then you find out you're not as smart as you thought you were. Um, yeah. So you've got to have a good relationship with the Lord, and he has to be the one that you are working to please. And every time you think you have a problem with your spouse, it's probably your problem. At least that's how it works for me. God always says, have you thought about this? What about when you do this? It's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I mean, one time we were in a canoe going down the Sacramento River. He knows this story. I've said it many times. With another couple. 
And Glenn had been in a canoe all summer long doing, I don't know what kind of counts on the river because he worked for water resources. And it was a terrible day to be on the river in a canoe. They dumped, well then we dumped. And I got in that boat and I, that canoe and I am hanging on, my knuckles were tight and we were in like three foot water, three feet of water, but it was ripply. And I said, Lord, if there's something you want to deal with him on, please do it when I'm not here. <laughs> oh my gosh. If you've ever dumped in the river, it's not fun. It's cold. <laughs> anyway, plus he's a much better swimmer than I am. <laughs> but yeah, you've got to have the Lord. You've got to, you've got to work on your relationship with him, you know, um, because if you try and mold and shape your spouse, it's not going to work. Yeah. I can tell you from experience. But it's, it's interesting. And 48 plus years and we're still, we're still here. Still here. All right, we're about out of time. I'm going to ask you guys one last question. This is for all of you guys. You can go in any order. But um, how would each of you like to be remembered when you're gone? <laughs> Kathy wanted to go first. She, she just went... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, she doesn't want to be remembered. <laughs> well, I'll start. I'll just, it's kind of like, I would like to be remembered as one who walked with the Lord and was faithful to the very end. I finished the race. And, it, um, and that's kept me out of a lot of trouble because every once in a while I get the bit in your mouth and I'm going, I'm not going to finish the race well if I go in this direction. So. Good. Yeah, I love it. I agree. <laughs> so does Diane. <laughs> you don't want to expand on that at all, or just no, just did. <laughs> Can you say that on the mic again? Because oh. it was really good. Loving and kind is something that I would want to have be remembered by, but finishing the race and with the Lord is the major. Yeah. Thank you, Glenn. <laughs> I think I would say helpful, loving, and faithful. Can I put a quick perspective on that? Yeah. Maybe I should listen to Proverbs and not say anything. But I was like, just happened to have Diane's got this box out the other day. And it, I guess it's my mother's stuff, like pictures and letters and all this stuff. And I was looking at some of it. And it was, I hadn't seen something like picture of her grandfather and his brother who, you know, I don't even think she ever met him. And I didn't. I remember one time we were looking at some of Diane's family stuff. We didn't know who they were. So I guess my point is, it doesn't really matter for very long. Mm -hmm. 
Well, I will just say briefly that I think the two things that I see is that I've had to learn, <laughs> and I, I say that seriously, I have had to learn <laughs> to love Jesus and to trust him because otherwise I would not make it through life because I tried to do everything my own way. Yeah. So um, you people don't hear what doesn't come out of the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't know how much things have changed um, in my life. But yeah, I do trust God above all else. That's good. Well, thank you guys. Let me pray for us and then Melissa will give some announcements. Lord, I am uh, just so thankful that you put this morning together, that you knew um, exactly who was going to be on this panel this morning, and um, just the, the uh, encouraging and wise uh, words that have been shared this morning. Just thank you for, for how you've been working in every single one of uh, these lives that shared this morning, and just, um, just that you've been faithful. I mean, it just seems to be the theme throughout uh, all of their sharing is that um, you've been the one at work, you've been the one that's worthy of trusting. Um, and so we're just thankful to you for being that kind of a God, for, for shaping our lives the way that, that you have um, because of who you are and in spite of who we are. Um, so we're just really, really thankful. Thank you for um, their willingness to, to sit up here this morning and, 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 and speak into our lives. Um, just pray that we would um, take one or two um, of the, the things that have been shared this morning and just choose to integrate them into our lives uh, so that we don't have to learn the hard way, um, but we can uh, be, the, be wise and not foolish uh, by taking their uh, example. Thank you for this morning. In your name, amen.